Robert Zemeckis has brought us some amazing and memorable moments in cinema. A time-traveling DeLorean gunning it to 88 miles per hour, a slapstick cartoon rabbit framed for murder in an animated town gone wrong, absolute sorrow at the loss of a dear friend who happens to be a volleyball. But there's a darker, stranger memory that creeps in the back of my mind, one of lipstick and rotting flesh of plastic surgery nightmares and full torso shotgun wounds, of Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, and Bruce Willis all caught up in some diabolical necromancy in service of eternal beauty. I don't remember much, but I guarantee you I was way too young to understand this insane movie when I saw it on cable in the 90s. But I do know one thing, it was to die for. No, not not the Nicole Kidman movie to die for. I, I mean, like, it was really good. Like, you know, I was trying to be clever and uh, fucking whatever. That movie was Death Becomes Her. Welcome to The Hold Up. Each month, we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years, watch it, and decide, does it hold up? I'm John Nelson. And I'm John Longino. And it's the last episode of 2019, everybody. Jingle bells, Batman smells, Rob. Uh, you know, I guess that's more Christmas. I should be more uh, sensitive and do well, it. Well, I, mean, uh, I don't know about you, but the rest of the world has been celebrating Christmas since about November 1st. So It's true. I swear to God, I, I drive through downtown and Burbank and all these other places. They had lights up November 1st. I actually just got in an argument just this evening with my wife and child because they wanted <laughs> to put Christmas things up. And I said, no, no, we cannot. It is not time yet. Now, for those who might be looking at their clocks and wondering what the hell, uh, uh, we are recording this before Thanksgiving. Yes. So my rule is I, no Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. I think it's fair. Me, me too. But, it, you know, it makes my daughter weep, but I, I stand by it. It never seems to work out that way. My family also wants to celebrate for two solid months. And to me, that's like, oh, it's going to make it less special. And they're <laughs> like, no, no, it makes it that much more special when you celebrate it every day. Hey, everybody. Happy December. Welcome to the Hold Up. Hooray. We're so glad you're here. Before we go into tonight's movie. Tonight's movie, Christmas Holiday Classic. <laughs> right. I, I really felt the Yule Tide in my heart. So I went with a movie about dead old women is there anything about christmas in it i can't i don't know i mean it's a gift to watch <sighs> all right but before we get into that we have an, a ray morton email oh do we now we do you want to hear it certainly Has ray morton uh emailed us at holduppodcast at gmail.com did he not oh sure he did and this is his untitled email it says am i too late to claim the prize LOL, <laughs> Ray Morton, you uh, old so-and-so. The answer is yes. Yes. Uh, we also received an email from Robin. Robin writes us, Hi, Johns, charter listener, six-time writer. I think at this point, Robin, we don't have to keep count. I think it's pretty... We, we know fine. you now. Oh, yes. I mean, I knew you before, but, <laughs> but now John knows you, too. I do. I do know you, Robin. While I cannot remotely argue that Top Gun is a good movie or that it holds up, I'm not ready to say that it's a terrible film as <laughs> you experienced. I suspect that your perspectives were colored by high expectations and a delay in first seeing the film until long after it opened, lessening the nostalgia effect. 
it's a romantic and platonic relationship movie with some action instead of vice versa. Again, I agree that it's not a good movie, but your negative reactions seemed a little intense. <laughs> well, the show's not funny unless we're intense now, is it? I, Robin, I've never been too intense in a reaction to a movie. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Uh, on a separate note, although I do not have any holiday film suggestions for you, except maybe The Nightmare Before Christmas, I do have yet another regular film suggestion. With Brendan Fraser re-entering the social consciousness this year, I think you could consider one of his films for a future episode. I've already suggested my favorite film from his filmography, school ties but perhaps a different movie might be more to your liking i'm talking about encino man update i've just checked and apparently encino man is already on the great ever evolving list of movie requests (laughs) that lives on the podcast facebook page oops of course school ties hasn't been added to the list yet so there is that warm regards robin yeah i need to go through and uh and uh clean it up and update i haven't been on the uh list in a while apologies folks that's so, yeah. true well we've that's, also been that's on me straight up bastards and really haven't done a, a listener request in a long while or the occasional ones we do just like we pick a movie that happens to, yeah, be, on just happens to be on the list yeah well we should probably do one we i think obviously as robin think, has pointed out we're a little overdue to i do think one. it's time maybe uh first movie of 2020 oh i like that idea uh, all right. Regardless of whether it's Encino Man or not, perhaps you and I can agree right here and now <gasps> that our next choice will be a pick from Robin. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. Right. She, and we'll be one of the ones, the many that one she's the, emailed us. I, I, that's, <laughs> I, I, I feel like a heel now, really saying it out loud. But yes, okay, guaranteed, January 2020, one of our longest time listeners will be having her day. Robin. All right. It's like a second prize. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like we're rewarding the three people that yes. listen. All right. Perhaps you too could have your wishes granted by us. You can email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. We're in a very giving mood, obviously, since it's the holidays. It's Christmas. Or you can go to holduppodcast.com uh, and connect to us in that way. Hey, John Longino. Yes, John Nelson. Let's talk about Death Becomes Her. Let's. And I suspect you're going to be doing most of the talking because <laughs> I've seen this movie once and I don't remember it. Really? You you don't remember anything? I don't remember anything. And it was like, hmm, way. Well, anyway. So I have seen it a few times, but it's in that typical. We, I mean, stop me if you've heard this story. <laughs> <laughs> it was playing on cable in the mid 90s. I watched it maybe five or six times. I might have even rented it from Blockbuster at one point. That might have been the first viewing. Okay. Was that an actual rental? And then, like, repeated viewings on cable. I can't really remember. But it's one of those, in the span of two or three years, I saw it, like, five times and then have not seen it since. So we're, I mean, we're talking at the latest, you know, like 96, 97, 98, something okay. like that. So it's it's been easily like 20 years since I've seen the movie. I don't even remember when I saw it. I just know at some point after having not watched it for my first like 20 or 30 years, I rented it because I was like, well, it's a Zemeckis movie. I should probably watch it. And then I watched it and then instantly it puffed out of my head and with no memory whatsoever. And so here we are. Well, I have part, zero memory. Part of the reason I selected it, other than its Christmas qualities, of which it has none, uh, <laughs> Well, is the idea that um, I felt like it had been a while since we'd done a really hazy memory one. I mean, we've we've been watching a lot of <laughs> movies lately that we remember a fair amount of. And right. this is one that I remember liking, but I'm pretty loosey-goosey on the details as well. 
what do you remember about Death Becomes Her? Honestly, listening to you talk about like plastic surgery and gunshot wounds, I was like, is that in there? I don't I, here. Let me guess at what it's about. I've even seen it and I can't remember. But uh, OK, so I know that somebody dies. I don't know if it's just one of them or all three of them, but one of them dies. And then there's either some magic spell or zombification or something that keeps bringing them back to life. And the whole thing was done as a. Uh, an excuse for Robert Zemeckis to try out his hand with the CGI stuff. And so he was making it really bloody and, you know, just, it was sort of like, um, uh, like a dead alive type thing. It's just like, let's experiment with gore and, you know, slapsticky, you know, horror stuff. But, right. uh, I, I'm guessing that, uh, it's, I mean, because it's two ladies and a dude, it's two ladies fighting over Bruce Willis. One of them's his wife and he's cheating on her with the other one. And she, kills him maybe maybe that's where the shotgun blast comes in uh and sticks a candelabra up his uh nethers and uh shit catches on fire and then they all come together at the end in a polyamorous trio uh much like beetlejuice and the the family downstairs the end that sounds like death becomes us <laughs> that's the sequel but yes yes perhaps the sequel yeah i don't know a thing about it yeah so. i can tell i mean it sounds like you know the actors in the film and that the death is involved in some yeah kind of way. I, I mean i do remember yeah. that there it, it, it really was the that's the only thing i remember is that it was like a a chance for robert zemeckis to be like hmm what can i do with this burgeoning technology because he's the guy that's always like you know like you say roger rabbit it's like oh i'm gonna combine animation and live action and yes and you know i'm gonna put uh, uh historic footage into Forrest Gump or vice versa. Um, the interesting thing about Death Becomes Her is when I saw it, I, I actually knew nothing of its connection to Robert Zemeckis as a director. Oh, um, obviously, I knew Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I, I kind of knew about that, but this was like a cable rental movie that I didn't even associate with him. I'm sure his name pops up, but you know, at the time, <laughs> I was just a little more obtuse about that. And so, it, very similar to... Um, when we did Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and that mm. happens to be a John Carpenter movie. Right. Uh, that was not my first association with that movie. This is kind of the same. Like this, uh, I think it's actually interesting that it's a Robert Zemeckis movie because I've never once viewed Death Becomes Her from that point of view. Mm. From a more kind of film student-y, oh, what is, <laughs> how does this fit into his greater works and right. his other movies? Oh, and, that's and, interesting. You know, what is he saying as a filmmaker here and all that? Nothing about my experience was that. It was all just kind of the movie. And my memory of it is it's a very kind of slapsticky, silly movie mm -hmm. with really great actors and actresses in it. Um, I, in particular, Meryl Streep as the lead of the movie, I remember being very strong. And obviously, Goldie Hawn is quite funny. And Bruce right. Willis uh, is a great leading man and stuff. But what was really intriguing to me about the movie, even then, is that the subject matter felt pretty rare for even that time. So it's sort of, from my memory, it's dealing with two women who are sort of rivals in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this is a kind of whatever happened to baby Jane type situation. <laughs> that, if anyone's ever seen that that lovely movie. But um, it's kind of that. It's It's got this, they're rivals and I think they are after the same guy or maybe not, I don't know. But it, they and they're may, rich, right? This is all They're wealthy. I believe they're, they might also even be actresses, although don't quote me on that. But there's something mm. they're like somewhat famous. OK. And the subject in the movie is sort of beauty and, right. and, and maintaining it. Right. So they are uh, start the movie as sort of you see them in the past. So mm. this is what's interesting about the movie uh, is they play themselves youthful 
<laughs> at the age they were when they shot the movie. Oh, okay. And then there's all this sort of makeup, very like Christopher oh, Lloyd style in, right. in Back to the Future, to make them look far older than they actually are. But okay. the irony is now, even that is probably younger than they actually are now. <laughs> um, and they but, probably look better than they did in the movie? Probably. Probably now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but m- most definitely. But so, th- so there's this sort of like jump ahead in time, and now they're sort of old ladies. Okay. And they, while they once were beautiful and, and had all this wealth and fame or whatever, now they're kind of old. And I believe the, the plastic surgery comes in. Meryl Streep is, is like a Beverly Hills, you know, whoever going to see Beverly Hills doctors <laughs> right. getting plastic surgery, just obsessed with her, her dying image right. because she is aging. And so it's kind of this interesting commentary on, on that, on okay. just sort of like external beauty and how much is in our culture and especially Hollywood culture is sort of held at value, especially for women Mm. and her solution to this problem. I don't remember how or why (laughs) or what kind of way this enters play. I'll bet it's really uh, organic too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it's an invitation to something or what. I don't know. (laughs) For whatever reason, she taps into some, it might even be like someone she knows is gorgeous who shouldn't look like they are this is what oh, i think might okay. happen actually now that i remember i think she sees someone entails them kind of thing uh-huh. of like i know her how are you looking so amazing i'm gonna go find out what you know doctor you're seeing and then they're ending up in some kind of weird cult type situation <laughs> and isabella russellini oh is like the madam of a cult of women who have maintained eternal beauty Oh. And Meryl Streep wants to know the secrets to this. And basically the idea is that she has to drink a magical elixir that will return her to youth. But what she doesn't realize is she's also going to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a thing in the movie where she returns to youth and she, oh my God, she peels the skin off her face. It's sort of like this makeup comes off and she very much like Doc Brown in right. the future too, where he's like, look, I de-aged myself. <laughs> it's kind of the same deal. And the rest of the movie, I think she takes this bargain, maybe doesn't read the fine print, or it's kind of this be careful what you wish for story, because I don't think she quite realized that she's going to literally be a corpse, (laughs) like a reanimated corpse. And so while she looks stunning and gorgeous initially, there's a lot in the movie of her, it's almost like the fly, where she's like rotting or like limbs are falling off. And and, and Goldie Hawn also joins up into this. So her and Goldie Hawn are like, dead reanimated corpses of beautiful women whose limbs are getting severed and who's so it's like the shotgun thing i'm talking about is goldie i vividly remember this is that bruce willis for some reason shoots goldie hawn uh, okay. through the center with a shotgun and the effects thing you're talking about is she's still alive right. or, or dead alive and you can see through her stomach and she's walking around like a, a reanimated corpse right and i think she even bends over and something goes through her stomach you know this <laughs> okay. kind of like a tricksy effect stuff and that's why i remember being very silly like d- just this craziness of of body parts going around and and very gory like you said but not not like endlessly gory it's not a dead alive like zombie <laughs> yeah fest well that was part of the reason i seen i i I seem to remember it was one of those movies that's like it could have been like a dead alive in the hands of a edgier filmmaker sure. but it was like oh but it's got to be Hollywood safe so it's 
quote unquote gory, but only, you know, in the sense that, you know, your grandma would probably be offended. <laughs> right. Um, and I, by the way, I have no memory of how it resolves. I, I know right. they double back to Isabella Rossellini at some point. I don't know if she gives them another serum that brings them back to normal or something. Like, I don't I don't actually remember. Got it. Um, well, this is our first Zemeckis movie, right? Is it? I Yeah. I mean, I think I, you're we, right. we keep flirting with doing Forrest Gump, and I thought that was going to be our first one, but here we go with this sure. one. But this does beg the question, what do you think of Robert Zemeckis movies in general? How does that, you know, now that you're looking at it as the film student, how, do you, how sure. does that color your outlook? Well, I, I would say you, you almost have to measure Zemeckis pre and post Polar Express, I think is a good <laughs> spot. All because right. I'd say pre-Polar Express, I had a very fond memory of Robert Zemeckis. Even something like Forrest Gump that people rail against and hate, I think is totally fine. Mm. I mean, should it win Best Picture over Pulp Fiction? No, <laughs> of course not. But but it's like, it's a stupid movie, kind of. But like, it's a fun. I, I well, like it. I John, like Tom Hanks a lot. Stupid as stupid as stupid. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, you caught, I know. caught that. Did you? <laughs> as a yeah. I know people hate it. I think I was young when that movie came out, so I don't have any of the Oscar angst. Uh, I would say, I mean, Zemeckis, in his, especially in his early days, I mean, the man made Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. All three of those movies are A plus, top shelf right. movies. Uh, he also and, made, though, I mean, he is kind of hit. I mean, this is the thing about Zemeckis. He is kind of, to me, hit or miss because he did do like he did used cars, right? Which, yes, I love used cars. And I haven't seen it in a while, but I don't remember like going gaga over oh, it when I saw great, it. man. Um, Romancing the Stone. I've never seen that. Jewel of the Nile. Uh, I've seen both I of them. And that. honestly, I read and those were two of those that people were going nuts over back in the day. And I just sort of watched them, was like, uh oh. And maybe now I'd look at it as like, oh, this is more, you know, kind of a, a riff on like Humphrey Bogart or something like I didn't know what I wasn't catching at the time. So maybe sure. there's that. But I was sort of unimpressed at the time. And then he's done, like, you know, like you say, he's done Roger Rabbit. And then he did animated movies for 10 years, which. Yeah, that those were weird. Those are kind of. Well, he went down this weird James Cameron Lucas road where they're like, well, I'm going to be the ultimate auteur and use this technology to make a super movie or so. I don't know. Didn't he also do Beowulf? Yes. That one I liked. That was fine. I, like, I enjoyed Beowulf. I don't know why it was really animated, but sure. <laughs> like it was well, fine. so that uh, what's his name didn't have to, you know, right. uh, ab up. <laughs> That's why that. Fair um, enough. One thing about him that I've always appreciated is not only is he a, a fair, I would say a good to very good filmmaker, occasionally okay, <laughs> occasionally yeah. brilliant. Yeah, okay, mean, well, occasionally fantastic, occasionally, eh, you know, but like right. all around, I would say solid. Uh, he's always been not afraid to try different things or do different genres. Right. I wouldn't say to this extent, but sort of someone like a Danny Boyle comes to mind. Yeah. I think Danny Boyle dabbles even more in genre than someone yeah, like Yeah, he Zemeckis just goes, does. he ricochets. Yeah, like he's a, like, I'll do a musical, I'll do a zombie movie, I'll do, you know, he'll do yeah, it all. He, he sort of pinballs. Yeah. Where but, Zemeckis sort of like weaves delicately yeah, in and out. But Zemeckis isn't afraid to to try different types of movies. Yes. Flight is very different from Back to the Future, is very different from Castaway. Is very, right. you know, they're, they're all... Uh, they're, there's a sort of thread that connects them all in terms of his style, but, right. but the subject is totally different. So in this, I mean... Cor Death Becomes <laughs> Her reanimated... A, a movie about reanimated 
old women and their <laughs> beauty is is like so out of I think this seems the most out of his wheelhouse yeah sort of out of left field maybe that's his, you know much like memoirs of an invisible man he's just like well I got to do something for money right. I, you know I want to make other movies but you know I go broke researching all this like <laughs> CGI or whatever I, I think I can safely say though based on my memories of death becomes her even though it's in Zemeckis's filmography uh I I I think I can safely say like, it's certainly not of the tier of his best movies by any means. Mm. It's not a Back to the Future. It's it's not a Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like right. it's fun. It's silly. I remember it being funny, and I remember the performances being really out there and really interesting. But okay. it, just. It wasn't like the best movie ever. <laughs> We're not talking about a, a genre-defining, you know, seminal film of the '80s or '90s. Like this was like fun and light. So then, I mean, really, you're just like this is sort of a uh, testing the bounds of memory type movie. Definitely. Well, I remember really liking. It. I mean, if I thought it was bad, I wouldn't have rewatched it. But I watched this thing several times. Right. And I think, in a way, the effects were really impressive to me at the time. I'm sure they will not hold up now. <laughs> but but at the time, I remember, oh, my God, how are they doing this? Like, right. how, is, how is Goldie Hawn saying these lines where half her body's missing and stuff? Right. Uh, I remember liking that. And, and actually, I knew Bruce Willis, obviously, but I think... <laughs> believe it or not this i think this film was my in- introduction to meryl streep <laughs> <laughs> i think it might be the first thing i ever saw her in or at least remember seeing her in. and i really liked her in the movie uh, okay i think she's great and the other reason i wanted to watch it again was because when i was a kid this was just a fun silly weird movie right but as i've re- thought back on it there's a lot of themes that were way over my head when I was young that upon reflection, I find really interesting. Just this idea of uh, women and their obsession with how they look and the pressures of society and the mind fuck of society right. to cause women to think this is the most important thing. And then commenting on that to the point where they literally die <laughs> and enter into some evil satanic pack and become animated corpses, right. reanimated corpses. That I, th- I hope... And think there could be a lot there to sort of analyze. Yeah, that might be interesting because it might be one of those that's like, oh, well, check this out. It's actually got a a theme that you can uh, sink your teeth into. I, I fear, though, just hearing it off the cuff, I'm like... Well, is it, is it, or is it just one of those things that like sort of in the eighties, it's like you were sort of putting yourself out there by saying, I don't think it's healthy for women to, you know, have to obsess over this sort of thing. Whereas now it's like, yeah, it, we know it's not healthy. It still goes on. It's not like it sure. still doesn't happen, but it's, but it's certainly like you are meant to understand that like, well, you shouldn't be, I mean, you should be cause let's get, let's face it, ladies, y'all got to look good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what I, I mean. I wonder, like, if back then it's like, well, yeah, ladies shouldn't uh, have to worry about it this much. I mean, they got to, you know, do something. I mean, they, they can't go out in the world looking like Harridans. I mean, come on sure. now. So I wonder how deep the message goes. Well, um, and honestly, I think just for me to have seen a movie with two female leads well, <laughs> at the time I saw it in and of itself well, was like that. a miracle, you right. know, so, and that stuck with me in a way. Like right. I remember Meryl Streep. I remember Goldie Hawn. Bruce Willis, I don't even think is maybe that even that good in the movie. Like he's, <laughs> he's like a sidekick random guy. He's not, right. he's by no means, Meryl Streep is the main character. Like he's the one there to sell the movie to the dudes who Pro- have to get probably, dragged there, that kind yeah, of thing. I, honestly, it looked like he was there to just have fun. <laughs> That but Meryl true. Streep and Goldie Hawn are the co-leads of the movie, and I can't even count on more than two hands how many movies in the 90s I saw like that. It's like, what, this in Sister Act? <laughs> like, I, 
is there another one? Like, I can't even Another think. one like, with yeah. two female leads? That, oh. that was like mass that I, that I would have gotten to me, right. young kid John. I mean, I'm sure there is, and I will think of it at some point in life, but I cannot think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. But I didn't come here expecting to have to, so. It's like, what's that? Uh, what's, I've never seen it. What's that movie with all the uh, women who are cutting hair and stuff? You know what I'm talking about. The, beauty uh, shop? No. It, <laughs> fuck. It's got all the, it's like Julia Roberts and all the. Oh, Steel Magnolias. Steel Magnolias. There well, that's go. definitely like, I mean, you talk about like, oh, nine to five. That, nine to five. Yeah. Okay. So this exists. This right. is like a subgenre that existed, but right. it, not very often. Yeah. This is all like women in the workplace, women thinking they're the main stars. <laughs> what the fuck is this nonsense? All right. Well, then I guess this all begs a very specific question. Hey, John Longino, do you think Death Becomes Her is going to hold up? I honestly have no fucking idea. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I, I straight up don't know. I, could, I literally could see it going either way. I suspect, based on Meryl Streep alone... The wheel is slowing down. Place <laughs> your bets. Place your bets. I'm, I'm going with holds up. Okay. I mean, Meryl, I love Meryl Streep. I know that she gets a lot of praise and stuff, and maybe somebody might roll their eyes like, oh, my God, Meryl Streep and the Oscar nominee. Like, she gets it for a reason. She's phenomenal. So I think she'll be great. Goldie Hawn is hilarious. I think just that is enough to send this home. I think it'll hold up. All right. These are all very good reasons. I trust uh, in all of them. I do not believe it will hold up. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any reason, you know, one way or the other. Again, it was other than like, I totally forgot about it. And so that's what I'm going on. Like, well, if I'd have remembered anything about it, then it probably would hold up. But I guess I'll just say it doesn't and just be a jerk and sure hate the world. I, I should side point out uh, that uh, Blue Velvet is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. And this film was my introduction to Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> Well, now, I went on to see her in much uh, better and <laughs> more well-known films, right. but uh, but that stuck with me. So that when I'm watching Blue Velvet, I'm thinking of Isabella Rossellini from Death Becomes Her. Oh, we'll see. When I when I whenever I see Isabella Rossellini, I'm just thinking of Blue Velvet. <laughs> I can't help myself. That's, that's fair because that was my introduction to her. And who? Why is King Bowser <laughs> going after oh, Isabella Rossellini oh, from Death Becomes Her? Yeah, like it's you have to based on my framing, like the, the movies I've seen with these people, it's so weird. Gotta be. Why is that paleontologist <laughs> from Jurassic Park <laughs> going after <laughs> Bowser? <I don't... sighs> All right. Well, uh, enough has been said. I think we're gonna go. Uh, Watch Death Becomes Her. We'll uh, be right back and tell you what we think. Don't you know that it's worth every treasure on earth to be young at heart? Some people will go to any length to stay young forever. Is that someone? It's Madeline Ashton. She was a big star in the 60s. I thought she was dead. Oh, madam, you look younger every day. Thank you, Rose. But Madeline Ashton and her old friend, Helen Sharp. I've lost men to her before. Mad Are about to go too far. A touch of magic. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Bottoms up. No warning. Now a warning? I'm in the morgue. They think I'm dead. You are, but you're not. 
Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do this? It doesn't hurt. She's dead! She's dead, Ernest. Well, he's dead. He's dead? Ernest is dead? Everybody's dead! You pushed me down the stairs. I'm so sweaty. I don't think it's sweat, honey. I think you're defrosting. Universal Pictures presents Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis. It's a miracle! And Gordy Hawn. Look at me. I'm soaking wet. Death becomes her. I just have to make a telephone call. We're back from the dead. We did it. We're here to tell you all about... Death becomes her. Okay. We've fallen down a flight of stairs. We've been taking buckshot to the chest. <laughs> We've uh, painted ourselves with spray paint. <laughs> Just been a bizarre experience that over the last couple hours. That was something. It is. It is. It, that is a weird movie, man. That is some interesting nonsense. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I wasn't terribly far in my weird guess in the beginning. It was like, I mean, I wasn't right. exact, but there was a lot of elements that I actually kind of stumbled upon correctly. So that's true. That's true. That's, that's interesting. Well, um, uh, first and foremost, a couple things in my, in my hazy ass memory and yours that we were uh, either did remember or slightly misremembered. And, and generally I was pretty correct. Uh, yes, there was a rivalry. Uh, Meryl Streep was an a- actress or like a stage actress. Yeah. And, and then Goldie well, she Hawn. She was both. I mean, she was a stage actress and a movie actress. Yes. And Goldie Hawn was a writer. And uh, the movie sort of opens where Goldie Hawn is engaged to Bruce Willis and then is bringing him to see her friend, Meryl Streep, perform on Broadway. Right. To the. <laughs> now, what's hatred of everyone except Bruce Willis? Now, the hilarious <laughs> thing about this is she's doing this big song and dance number. That would not be out of place today on, you know, the Pantages or any, you know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, it might not be the most, you know, uh, interesting thing on earth, but it was like, oh, this is fine. And like, people are like walking out of the <laughs> yeah, theater. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like to me, it was like, it just seemed to me like it was almost a joke in and of itself. There's yes. nothing wrong with it. And people are, and yet people are like, oh my God, this is terrible. Well, it, it this is the worst. Established a very silly tone which yeah. really carried throughout the entire movie where it yeah. was very exaggerated where <laughs> someone's ki- like over in a chair just sleeping and snoring through the production right like every other person's getting up and walking out and stuff it, it was very silly and then bruce willis is just vi- like a loud applause like whoa, whoa <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very heightened like, and stuff well actually the film even before that kind of starts out like it, you know it does that thing it, it does like an old 1940s or 50s movie where it's like here's the city but it's obviously like a model (laughs) and then it pans down to the theater down yeah yeah, and it's like i I, it's i I don't think i would have noticed that the first time i saw it but just that it's it totally is done it's sort of not only is it doing like an emulation of old hollywood movies it's sort of I don't want to say it's like a Hitchcock movie because there's elements of other things in there, but it is trying to put in a lot of Hitchcockian elements. Well, certainly the score you said uh, was very much akin to Bernard Herrmann, which, yeah. is, which is true. It's, it's totally, it's a Bernard Herrmann yeah, riff. It might as well be in Psycho or something. It's, right. it's sort of right in there. 
but yeah, the the movie uh, essentially uh, the idea is that Bruce <laughs> Goldie Hawn is afraid to introduce Bruce Willis to Meryl Streep because I guess they've been rivals and friends for their whole life, and she's stolen every man Goldie Hawn's ever had. Right. And, it, that's actually a really funny edit where she's like, I'm just so worried that you're going to go to her. And Bruce Willis is like, what are you talking about? I, there's nothing there. I feel I'm not nothing. even interested in and her. It just hard cuts to like, da, 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 da. and he's, he's like <laughs> literally marrying Meryl Streep as right. Goldie Hawn weeps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it, super stylized, super heightened. And I have to say, I mean, with some extent, I'm trying to think of like other movies that I've seen like this. Usually, that kind of thing, unless it's really flawlessly, flawlessly executed, doesn't work for me. Like you know, say the Coens or something like that. Sure. But like, there was something about that that it's like he just somehow hit it like kind of like the sweet spot. Like, well, it's not completely that movie, but it's not completely sure a goof. I don't know. There was something. It was like you say, it was kind of silly, and it doesn't definitely ever, like. And there's never really like a through line to the movie, which is interesting too. There's not like a, besides just, oh, we want to be pretty forever and live forever, which by the way, the, uh, the thought that we were having, it's like, oh, it's kind of like a message with, you know, oh, how beauty can destroy a woman. And, uh, you know, certainly there's, there's that it touches on that, but really it's, I mean, if we're touching on themes in this movie, it's like kind of more like touching on like, well, what would immortality be like? And how right. how fucking boring would it be to live forever? And, you know, or oddly, this thing you think you really want, if made actually true, would kind of suck. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and sort of in a mundane way, it wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm in hell for the rest of my life. This isn't like Hellraiser or something. It's just like, yeah, it's just kind of boring and your life kind of sucks. And yeah <laughs> uh, essentially the 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 plot is basically that uh the, yes they want to live forever and then uh isabella well, they want to be youthful forever they yes. don't know that they're yes. kind of giving up their lives that's true but isabella russellini for reasons completely unexplained like the movie i as far as i can tell makes really no reason why this exists other than just saying it's magic which is fine i actually right. like that they just take the premise and just kind of go with it but she offers up this vial uh, to, for apparently a large sum of money and then uh, to, to Meryl Streep. And then we actually find out later Goldie Hawn as well. So what's interesting is Goldie Hawn loses Bruce Willis and then it arc cuts to her. She's a cat lady. Right. So like 10 years later in, in a basically an Eddie Murphy, you know, clumps fat suit. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's, there's actually a really funny bit where she's watching an old Meryl Street movie of her being strangled. And right. Being strangled. It's, it's, <laughs> as, it's a she's, as Goldie Hunt's being evicted. Yeah. And it's a complete, well, that was one of the things that really, you know, caught me into this like weird style that like, cause he completely does a Hitchcock movie in that moment. It's totally yes. like vertigo and it's, pitch perfect and as i'm and, and you watch her get strangled and she sort of dies in the old hollywood way which is like not at all realistic <laughs> right. and i don't know there was just something and meanwhile you know like he says uh goldie hahn is being you know hauled off by these keystone cops and you know she's kind of looking you know i mean it is very exaggerated yeah and, and it's like really again, cartoony yeah like super cohen brothers yes. like you know uh, uh what's it i'm thinking uh, for kids Oh, a Hudsucker Proxy? The Hudsucker Proxy, yeah. yes. Very super stylized. Definitely. It's like Hudsucker Proxy, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Or yeah. Something. Just like really out there. Well, a lot of fisheye lenses Definitely. on this one where it's like they exaggerate the faces and stuff Absolutely. like that. But what was sort of 
the plot kind of, I mean, it's kind of meant to just exist for the fun of the movie. I think if you put too much thought into it, it all kind of falls apart. Yeah, I don't, I actually, the more I start to think about it, the more I'm like, nah, don't go down that road. You'll you'll pick it apart. What was sort of tripping me up was this idea. They sort of tee up this Goldie Hawn, you know, revenge plot that she wants to murder Meryl Streep. And then the, this conceit is like, oh, now it's seven more years later. And then Goldie Hawn is no longer the clumps. <laughs> right. She's suddenly gorgeous. She's like the Goldie Hawn we know. And Meryl Streep is just beside herself. Like, how did this happen? What's her secret? And then she ends up not really related to Goldie Hawn going and meeting Isabel Rossellini and, and making this devil's pact. And the general idea is kind of what we said, that that. Your body is sort of dead, but you will be conscious and live for eternity is kind of the the bargain. Well, the way that Isabella Rossellini puts it, like, after this, you will never age another day. And it's basically like, well, because you're dead. Because you're dead. (laughs) And you've got to take care of yourself now. Because if any little thing happens, like, it doesn't, you don't heal and you don't, you know. Where the plot gets kind of strange is that while Meryl Streep's, you know, making this thing and having this transformation to her, her corpse youth. Uh, there's this whole murder plot with with Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis. She's like seducing him, saying sex over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was like <laughs> less than subtle. She's just that like, was just funny though, because that was like one of those yeah. like I you know she just said I I was I used to be a girlish you know a slip of a thing and I couldn't even say the word sexual <laughs> without blushing. Right. And then she's just but like, I can now. Sexual, <laughs> sexy, sexy, sex. <laughs> Se- and you know what's interesting? It did click in my brain where I was like, I remember being a young guy watching the movie, and that that like memory came back. I was like, I remember Goldie Hawn saying <laughs> sex a lot, <laughs> and that made made me feel strange, like back in the day or whatever. You know, like I, it was sort of this like nostalgic memory of like, oh right. Because it is a very, like, they're very sexual in the movie and right. obviously, you know, showing off and stuff. But but what's odd is she's trying to get Bruce Willis to kill Meryl Streep, and she succeeds. Bruce Willis literally commits murder. <laughs> yeah, they, they have this long, drawn-out <laughs> montage of, like, it's, again, very Hitchcockian. Here's the plot. Here's what we're going right. to do. We're going to poison her. Then we're going to throw her corpse off a cliff, and it's going to cover and all the like bases. she's, saying the plan in the footage of them doing the plan. Right. Yeah. And then he just turns around and basically starts choking her and then throws her <laughs> down the stairs. And it's like, like whoops, I messed up. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I the thing I really liked about that is it's like they've set up this whole elaborate, you know, uh, plot, this film noir plot and then he just you know kills her out of spite basically and it's like oh it's out of nowhere i mean Uh, that's kind of the movie's whole tone is it keeps like setting up these things and then undercutting them definitely but what's so what the sort of surprise of the movie is okay bruce willis kills meryl streep but surprise surprise she's immortal so she gets up with her head backwards and all this crazy stuff uh, Goldie Hawn enters confused that she's not dead. They get into this huge argument. Meryl Streep just shotguns Goldie Hawn. <laughs> and lo and behold, Goldie Hawn is also still alive slash immortal. Right. And that was the part where if I if I really have to do the math in my head, I'm like, I had all these questions. I was like, how did Goldie Hawn get from seeking vengeance cat lady right to drink in the potion they seem to elude that you need a substantial <laughs> amount of money to pay for this thing right so i, I just ca- i got too caught up in like well how did goldie Hawn get this and why whatever but ultimately it doesn't 
really matter. No, it's just kind of a all. goof. Well, I mean, this is also one of those instances where, like, it's sort of like Terminator 2 where, you know, the you already know going in. You've seen the commercials, most likely. You've right. seen the poster that has a giant hole in Goldie <laughs> Hawn's chest. So you're like, well, I know this is going to happen. Right. So I can gather that at some, like, basically for me, it's like the minute you see her all skinny and, you know, uh, tricked out, you know, at the beginning of the movie, then I'm like, oh, okay, she's taking that right. potion and we'll we'll you know, I don't even know what it is but I, I can see she's already done that process so right and honestly like wondering how or why it happened is almost pointless because really the, the movie is just kind of about the farce of it and the right. silliness of it and, and it's kind of you just accept like yeah okay sure whatever yeah I mean, there's even a point where like, and this is sort of one of those things I can't, I, I don't feel like I can pick at because then I'd start like really hammering it. But like, there comes a point in the movie where like Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep have both, you know, they're both immortal and they both decided, okay, we're going to get Bruce Willis to take this potion so he can just basically do his undertaker shit and <laughs> keep us pretty for the rest of eternity. Right. So we're going to force him to do it. And then the movie, which has not been about him at all, suddenly is like directly about him yes. and, his, and, and then the whole thing of like oh immortality is gonna suck and he's the one that has the realization about it right you know? all out of nowhere it becomes bruce willis's movie yeah he makes the critical you know character choice of not doing this yeah and then he's trying to escape and suddenly the women that we were sort of that were you know kind of front and center in this are now and he was sort of the bumbling idiot who was just right. background noise now he's the main guy and again that's interesting but it's also like well why why does he get to carry yeah. this i mean this same evening he committed murder you know, right. Like, let's, so it's how he's this noble hero is a little weird. Like he literally murdered his wife. Yeah, and I mean they they take great pains to set up, but all of them are kind of assholes. So sure. you don't really feel bad for any of them. But yeah, it's an odd like turn, and I can it's, for me it's like well okay. I guess you have to place it in that like '80s again. That oh well, the guys won't go to the movie if Bruce Willis isn't here. But I it's, guess. it's an odd like kind of whiplash. Moment. Well, and they double down on it at the end of the movie because they they do 37 years later and it, they're eulogizing Bruce Willis. Right, he's decided not to be immortal. He doesn't want to go through with immortality because immortality sucks. And then he went off and lived a, a very happy life and had many, many, many children. And 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 uh, Goldie but, Hawn and Meryl Streep are. Obviously, you know, they're sort of like old witches, you know, the Stygian yes. witches in the back and they're <laughs> hiding their faces and they're, you know, the big joke is they fall and they break apart into pieces and it's like, oh, it's another fine mess. Sure. Well, not only that, when they finally take their veils off, they, it, it's interesting because you've seen this entire movie where they're obsessed with their image. And then we fast forward 37 years and Meryl Streep, by the way, who like had mascara running earlier and screamed in horror, you know, <laughs> right. like, like she is incredibly sensitive to her looks. Right. So to go to this end of the movie where they reveal what's under the veils and they look hideous, yeah, they like, look like, like old mannequins, just disgusting, like, like horrible makeup, just monstrous. And for them to have this beat and then Meryl Streep just be like, oh, you look fine. It's fine. Here, let me like, yeah. like there, this is passing for them. <laughs> right. What there was this just sadness to that of like, wow, you, you, you <laughs> basically are now never going to die. And your trade-off was like, well, at least I'll be young and beautiful forever. And you look horrifying. Right. And, and now are literally shattering <laughs> like a, like a terracotta pot <laughs> right. <laughs> just all over the floor. Yeah, it's uh, it's a you know I, I 
I appreciate that it goes for that kind of theme, but I'm also like, I, I again, I can't delve too deep into it because it's right. also like, well, what are we saying about all this and female beauty and, you know, sort of because they by the end of it, they're sort of where they started. Right. Except they're friends now. And I guess that's better than well, not. The, sure. I would say that that is the difficulty. I think that's why we're so surprised that Bruce Willis has such an arc. Like right. he, he suddenly kind of kind of becomes the character of the movie because yeah. he's the one that makes the choice and has a character arc. What what's sort of tough is, yes, it's Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep's movie. And they're definitely the main characters. It feels like. But you're right. There is no progression. They learn no lesson. <laughs> They're totally fine with their immortality. And, and yeah, they don't really learn anything from it. So in a way, it's it's almost like a um, feels more like a fable to me than, right. than any kind of like character movie. Well, it's almost like a Seinfeld thing. It's like these people are never going to change. So what you're right. watching is sort of people's reaction to well, them. If any message is to be gleaned from him, I don't think it's them as characters learning anything. It's more like you as an audience member can can take the point of it. Right. That they totally miss. Right. And go, <laughs> God, I don't want ever that ever to happen to me. I think there is an emphasis on like they think this is the most important thing and look what it, it's it's not life right it's it's like worrying over this is pointless you are going to die so <laughs> right. why fret about your beauty there's other kinds of things i think there are interesting lessons in particular there was a line from goldie hawn when she's hyping up bruce willis to murder meryl streep she's going on this whole thing of like it's not your fault it was all her fault nothing was your fault and then she says really intently like she's a woman she's a woman and that really stuck with me like wow that's a pointed line like what what are you talking about like see, just her femininity makes her guilty see that was the interesting thing like, the way i read that was I, I read that as her being more accusing to him is like you didn't do anything wrong she's a woman of course you fell for her because you're a fucking idiot oh, in any girl that well I, mean, I had a completely different view of that I, I mean but i i when she kept going on it then i kind of felt like oh maybe that wasn't the point but that was what i thought she was sort of building to was just sort of this kind of throwing a backhand and insult into him it's like no how could you how could you have how can you blame yourself you're just a fucking idiot who will just follow any girl around you know what i mean right but, but i you know i think yours is just as valid well, they're they're kind of like the worst version of everything that's sort of corrupted about uh, the view of women in society, right? Like, like right. The, it's it, it's got it all, man. Like they're fighting over a man, right? Literally, they could be friends, but they they've ruined their lives hating each other over a man, over <laughs> multiple men. Right? They're like catty and shitty to each other, and then all they care about is their beauty and and their exterior and and to the and they learn nothing yeah it's interesting like i i don't think the movie is positing that that stuff's okay and 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 it's almost like well here's the worst example of of all the bad things but come to think of it there is one thing that they do learn which is they eject the man from their relationship by the end true they do become friends by the end of the movie they rely on each other and, and and they don't let you know they sort of scoff at him in death and it's like he had a life fuck this dude but it is like they have at least stopped fighting over a dude which is like well i mean maybe that's the progress but yeah in a way even that felt like 
kind of just a, a trope, you know, of well, just like, sure, oh, yeah. the catty women that are arguing and then they fight it out and then now they're best friends. Right. You know? so it's very. Oh, yeah. That's the plot of a gazillion movies. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Yeah. So it's not much of an arc. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, you know, again, I think this movie was ultimately just an excuse for Robert Zemeckis to try out CG technology, which by the way, I think I, I didn't know this. I was looking this up while we were watching. This was sort of a, a test run for ILM before they did Jurassic Park. Oh, interesting. Like they were like, you know, grafting Meryl Streep's head onto someone walking around. And, yeah, yeah. Like all the, all the CG technology, which doesn't look great, but you know, I, you it, know, it, it was passable. It was like, definitely well, definitely you can see for the time. It's like, sure. oh yeah, this is a big fucking deal. But it is like <laughs> you can see the like, look, she's got a big hole in her right. chest and like you know twisting well, I, around. I, now that I've seen it, and the big spots are sort of like Meryl Streep walking around with her body facing one direction, her head the other way. Uh, Goldie Hawn with a big hole in her chest, and you can see straight through it as she's walking around doing everything. And then I think there's a key moment where she sits down and a pole goes like straight through it. Right. Those are kind of the main spots. There's a few others here or there, but those are the big ones. And I remember at the time in the 90s, this stuff blowing my mind, like like <laughs> magical. Right. This time, I, yes, I could definitely, as someone who's seen a lot of movies and stuff, I you can kind of know how they did it. You can sort of see that it's it's not sure, totally real. but honestly, like, I it still played. Like, oh it, yeah, it, it was it totally worked. It was fine, and the visual gags were good. And I, I think you know, I think it, he, even in showing off, he was still trying to be as. Um, hiding it as much as he could you know sure. it's sort of the trick that a lot of directors have learned which is like don't put it on blast don't put it like front and center try and hide it in the background and it'll look more real stuff right. like that and i think he was trying to do that there would be a lot of times that you know she'd certain like goldie Hawn would be walking around with a hole in her chest and there'd be times where she would just like turn and face the camera like front on and you'd be like hey look but there were a lot of times she's sort of walking around and i bet that was even harder to just get like a crescent of a hole right. or whatever um yeah and i honestly for i was expecting there to be a lot more of that kind of goofy gag stuff and i was actually surprised when the movie just was like eh, it's mostly you know uh jokes and you know right. uh you know practical side gags and things like that yeah. and then we get to this big moment that they're leading towards but then the movie keeps going on right because it wasn't non-stop you know body death d d contortion humor or right something. like Which it was the, a few spots i do remember the trailers and stuff for that they made it look like yeah this whole movie is just gonna be like a marx brothers sure. of murder and <laughs> well it makes sense they took all their best like visual moments and just random in a trailer so it makes sense which i can you know imagining a younger me i can also imagine seeing the trailer and being like oh man this is gonna be something and then going to the movie it's like oh right I saw all the gags <laughs> i don't want to watch the rest of this shit <laughs> <laughs> there there is a sequence in the movie that i actually think is i think is my favorite part of the movie or, or maybe even the best part of the movie which is uh, uh it, it's before meryl streep kind of fully understands what's going on and bruce willis <laughs> right. you know is like oh my god I don't, you should be dead i don't understand he takes her to the hospital there's a bit with I think it's Sydney Sydney Pollack, Pollack, yeah, for sure the the famed director and, and occasional actor uh, comes in as the doctor and that whole thing was great. Like, yes, he's just he's sort of like seeing if it hurts when he bends her arm and then at the key moment is he checks her pulse 
and is just completely befuddled that he doesn't hear her heart beating because she's dead. And he throws his like, stethoscope <laughs> away and grabs another one. And he's like, uh, it's great. And then he does this whole thing where he's walking through like, well, I mean, you, your neck is fractured and uh, this. And, and by the way, your your heart's not beating. You know? takes a drink of uh bruce willis's <laughs> whiskey and then walks out the door and that in that in and of itself would have been fine but bruce willis runs out a moment later going i need a doctor where's a doctor where the hell are all the doctors and sydney pollock has like had a heart attack <laughs> and is dying and all the doctors yeah. are trying to save him yeah <laughs> he's like so shocked by what he's seen <laughs> that he's literally dying the great thing about that though is like i mean sydney pollock is genius casting for that because he always underplays his roles that's what yes. he was great at is just yes. sort of underplaying like these big comical roles and he just he does that here too he's just like yeah that's you know that's so uh, you know your neck and mm, that's weird <laughs> you know, well, you know? it works so well in this movie because the movie's so overplayed everyone yes. every like meryl streep goldie hawn bruce willis they're all all the way up, right like all the way and then everything's so crazy so yeah he very much grounds that moment of he gives like this method actor 100 percent sincere reaction to what he would actually do as a doctor if right. this was actually happening and yeah him just freaking out it was great yeah speaking of i mean by the way meryl streep two things about her number one she makes some hilarious choices in this which i certainly wasn't anticipating i don't see her that much as a comic actress although she's done plenty of them yes it's just yeah I've never seen her. Well, this is, I think this is the most broad I've ever seen her. Yeah. Like really broad comedy. Yeah. I've seen her in plenty of comedies, but usually she's a little more grounded. Yeah. I mean, I get, I'm thinking of like more recent ones like Mama Mia or stuff like that where she's a little more broad, but this one it's like, yeah, she's even, she's making like comic choices and stuff like that. And it, she's really good in it. And um, also playing just a very awful person. Like, well, yes. There's very little redeemable about that character but at the, all. The thing that's weird is like, we've, I've seen Meryl Streep in dozens of movies and she's always like the graceful one or the thoughtful right. one. Or the, I have never seen her play a sex pot before. <laughs> and that is, you know, they're playing up her, you know, like her figure and like she's blonde and beautiful and they're really, you know, obviously they're going for their whole beauty thing. And I'm just like, I don't think I've ever seen Meryl Streep playing the sex bomb in a movie. Right. <laughs> That's crazy to me. In a movie with Goldie Hawn in it, <laughs> right. which is usually her role. So. Oh, yeah. That was a crazy thing. She was good, too. I, I mean, she's almost always good, Goldie Hawn, but... Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was something to see. <laughs> it was it was not boring. I'll say that. No, I mean you know, I, flawed certainly. Yeah, I mean, not not perfect by any means, but it it was weird. <laughs> yeah, I like weird. Like it was such a weird movie. Yeah, odd and goofy and you know and funny. Like there yeah. was there was some sense. I mean, there's there's some jokes that didn't you know all the way work, but there was some. I would say for the most part, it was actually quite funny. Um, one one little aspect of it that I wish it had kind of gone into more. I I just found the lore of it kind of interesting. They sort of tack on at the end uh, when they're trying to get Bruce Willis to join the cabal. <laughs> that that not only is this woman dealing in this potion that you know will help them for eternity. It's literally a secret underground society of the elite of Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Right. And many famous movie stars whom you know all here at this party who are all living forever. It's like Andy Warhol and Elvis Presley. Right. And Jim Morrison and James Dean and Marilyn Monroe. It's like all this stuff. I just found that really interesting. And and this sort of 
the way in which Hollywood immortalizes these figures, even right. though they are long gone, yeah, their their visage is at Hollywood Forever <laughs> Cemetery, or they're talking. You know, they're, it's like they're still alive, even though they're dead. Right. So it's like let's take that a step further, and they're actually still alive. They're just undead and in, in hiding. Right. Well, and I also, I mean, it's low hanging fruit, but I loved it anyway. We're like before they sort of, I mean, you've seen like. Who did you see? Marilyn Monroe and Andy Warhol. You'd seen those yes, two already. And sure. then, like, the guy who's, like, kind of emceeing the party's like, hey, well, we're having this great party. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for following the rules that we've asked you to abide by, going into hiding, et cetera. But, you know, we gotta be, you got to be consistent, guys. And some of you have been breaking the rules a little bit. And then everybody – and I knew it was happening. I knew yeah. as he was setting up the joke what he was going to do. But it was still funny when everybody turned and looked at Elvis. Yes. <laughs> he's like, oh, I was just trying to have some fun, man. <laughs> I love that he's in the white jumpsuit, of course. It's like, I can't, they can't help themselves. I don't know. It was easy, but I don't know. There was something about it I enjoyed. Anyway, I, I feel like we're getting to that moment in time. So, John, Certainly. time to pay the piper. Yes. What'd you think? Tell us. Did it hold up? I, I think it did. I think, um, and my expectations were, I think, reasonable. Like, I, I didn't put on this movie the idea that it would be an unbelievable movie. I, I remembered it being fun and funny and weird and, and silly. And it was all of those things. Like, I laughed. It was. It, I was entertained. It was quite bizarre um, and unique. And so, uh, while, while it may have some rough edges or, you know, I wouldn't say it's perfect by any stretch, um, I, generally I liked it. I would say it held up. Cool. Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised, and and from almost frame one, I was surprised because I, I, like I say that like here's the model, and here we're you know panning down to the theater, and here's that joke about like well everybody's walking out of this obviously fine musical number. I don't know. There was something about it that hooked me in the beginning, and sure. I was like, oh, I, and I sort of the cynical veneer, the, the cynical veneer I went in with. I was like, oh, okay, I, I feel like I can roll with this a little easier. I don't know. It was just. I was expecting to have to work harder to give it a, a an even shot, and it wasn't hard to give it an even shot. So I would say, like you say, flawed, not a perfect movie, but I don't know. I, I feel like it held up, and I feel like, oh, I can see why people went nuts for it. I, I don't, again, I don't remember any of the circumstances of me watching it the first time. Nothing rang a bell, but I was also <laughs> like, sure. well, I... I don't know where I don't even remember how old I was, but I'm guessing if I was younger about the time it when it came out, I can be like, oh, yeah, that John wouldn't have understood half of the sort of gags being referenced or whatever. So I can <laughs> see why I wouldn't be that interested. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear it. But while we were watching the movie, I was just looking up some things about it. And evidently, this movie has a rather strong cult following in the drag community. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that which, which checks out. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that doesn't shock me terribly. Makes sense. But yeah, I could see all the themes of just like, oh, you know, lots of makeup and, and internal beauty and, and also just very silly. And, and yeah. Oh, and yeah. Fun. Just like goofy. And well, and and that's what drag sort of does best, which yeah. is like it just jokes about how being beautiful is the only thing. And yet a lot of the the, the best drag queens are like, it, it's obvious <laughs> what's going on here. It's like, well, right. OK, well, you're right. certainly done up very well. But yeah, OK, so there you go. A awesome. double holds up. Wow. Holy shit. That's a good way to end the year. Excellent. And what a year it's been. And yes, amazing. So going into 2020, John, we promised we would do a listener request from Robin. We went over her list. We're sorry that it's so long and we haven't gotten to this earlier, but we have decided to go with your most recent. What are we doing, John? 
Encino Man. Yeah. It is happening. We actually are, this is the most prompt we've ever replied to an email <laughs> and actually accepted a request. So, Except for the first one. We did, we did Legend pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah. That, I don't really, that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was almost five years ago now. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so uh, come back in 2020 and we'll be doing Encino Man. We're going to defrost Brendan Fraser. Check out Polly Shore. <laughs> this is already a bad decision. All right. Well, if you want to contact us, you can reach us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to holduppodcast.com uh, and see all of our links to social media. Uh, and if you would do us a favor and go to iTunes and rate us and leave such kind reviews as you have been doing, that would be great. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy holidays. Yes. And until next time, nobody move. Nobody gets hurt. Hey.